We have a number of um, God sightings and prayers this morning. Um, we have a God sighting from Carolyn Bolick. Um, that she is thankful to God that she's back in church, and I am thankful to God that you are able to be back in church. Um, Y'all, we have tried so hard to take good care of each other and to protect folks, especially the folks that might, um, like Carolyn, have you know health things that make it really hard for them to be in this time of pandemic. And just thinking of like, for over a year, we have done what we can to be good to each other and to take care of each other. And um, we've prayed and we've looked forward to vaccines and like, it's happening. Like we can safely be together and Carolyn can safely be with us. And whew, like, what a, what, praise God. Like praise God for the specific of Carolyn being here and praise God that things that we took it for granted a year and a half ago are becoming possible again, and we can be together. Thanks be to God. Uh, we also have some prayers that we want to lift up. Mary Scott is at Grace Heights for rehab, so we uh, pray for him, for her, and for those who are caring for her that she could um, get the help that she needs and find the strength that she needs. Uh, we're going to pray for Carol Curley and for Michelle Towery. And for Chastity George, who has a um, bad cut on her hand, will you pray with me? Oh God, you are the maker. You are the creator. When we put ourselves in your hands, you make something greater and more beautiful than we imagine or hope for. We are so grateful that we can trust you with our lives, with our strengths, with our hurts and our weaknesses. You are trustworthy, O oh God, with all we are and with all we have, and we give you thanks. We pray for your church throughout the whole world, not just in this building, but everywhere that people gather in the name of Jesus. May your people be upheld by your grace. May we recognize that your presence is enough. And may we live in a way that brings that presence into the world. God, we pray for the leaders and rulers of the world, um, for those who are um, wrapping up the G7 summit and those who are tasked with making decisions that affect so many people. God, may their decisions be wise and just. May they be made with care and concern for all people and especially for those who are most vulnerable. We pray for our president, Joseph, and for our governor, <clears throat> Roy, and for all those who are elected and appointed to be our leaders. God, may their focus and their decisions work towards our common good. And may we join them in care for one another. We pray for this, our local community. We pray for those who are entering summer school. We pray for those whose routines are changed over the summer. God, we pray 
especially for those among us who are still medically vulnerable, for folks who are immunocompromised or um, have other challenges. God, even as we celebrate being able to be more open, we also recognize, God, that that experience is different for different people. And we ask that you would guide and protect and shower your grace and blessings upon those who are most vulnerable and help us to be people who look out for them in good and practical ways. We pray for the particular prayers that have been brought this morning for Mary Scott and Carol Curley, Michelle Towery, and Chastity George. May they receive your healing and your hope in just the ways that they need most. And even as we name these names out loud, we recognize that we carry folks in our hearts. And we remember that there are folks in this world who have no one to name them in prayer. And we offer them to your grace. We bring all these prayers in the name of Jesus, who is teaching us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 9. This is um, Paul talking about his experiences, and we're coming in, in the end of this passage. The Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. These are the words for God, of God for God's people, and we say thanks be to God. I grew up in a family and a school and a culture of high achievers. Self-improvement was the constant expectation. What can you do better? How can you be stronger? What's the next challenge to overcome? I'm grateful for that. It gave me a chance to grow and thrive and learn things that I might not otherwise have learned. The norm or the ideal offered by the world around me is if not perfection, at least strength, talent, and achievement. It's about always getting better. When I was an elementary school student, I had near perfect reports every time. This may not surprise you. You've known me for a while and school is kind of my thing, but I went through elementary school 
reading, fantastic, math, right on track, <clears throat> science, obeying the teacher, you're doing great. But there was always one problem on my report card. My handwriting has always, according to the elementary school teachers of Selwyn Elementary School in Charlotte, North Carolina, needed improvement. There was a lot of angst for a lot of time about trying to improve that one thing that wasn't quite right. I remember the remedial handwriting strips when I was in fifth grade and you had to sit there with the neatly written handwriting strip and you wrote, y'all, I persevered through fifth grade. I wrote in cursive because my teachers told me to. I was quite the rule follower. I persevered in sixth grade. I wrote in cursive because the teachers told me that I had to, and I was a rule follower. When I got to seventh grade, my teacher said, I don't like trying to read y'all's cursive. Will everybody please print? And y'all, that was the last, pretty much, <laughs> the last time <laughs> that I tried to write in cursive. Now, I know some of you grew up in the era where penmanship was like the thing. And I know some of you are very well trained because I've received the notes from you. And that Palmer handwriting, you hold your wrist and your hand exactly right. And all, y'all, it's beautiful. And so, so many people have been so well trained to do that so well. And I just came through at a point where that was now, my kids' teachers don't seem to really even care, but I came through school at the time where it was still valued, it was still considered important, at least by my teachers and my parents, but I was not good at it. And so, you know, I kind of went through school, and it's... If, you, if I think about it, the amount of time and energy and worry from myself and my parents and my teachers about my less than satisfactory handwriting could really probably have been put to better use. <laughs> like we all probably could have been okay if we had not worried so much about that particular weakness. Now, when I grew up, probably only about seven or eight years ago, I was in a church and I was overhearing a conversation between two folks from the church who had had that experience of Palmer handwriting who really hold a high value on that particular style of cursive. And one of them was saying to the other how they just didn't really believe that younger generations were functioning adults because they were not using proper cursive. At which point I felt like, oh my goodness, I'm her pastor. And I write her thank you notes on occasion. And I don't write them in proper cursive. <laughs> Maybe I should just quit and go home because apparently I'm not a functioning adult. Whatever. Maybe we can debate whether or not I am or am not, in fact, a functioning adult. Cursive remains not really a thing for me. And 
Um, but, but that thing of like, we probably all have it, right? There's like some area in your life, no matter how like accomplished and confident you feel, there's something that gets consistently listed on your list of weaknesses, right? And usually our cultural attitude about that is like, well, you better fix that. Like you need to work harder so there's not this thing that's a weakness. Um, I do have other, handwriting is not the only problem in my life, but it seems like a, you know, a relatable in church example. You know, we have these things, right? And our culture and our life tells us if you have a weakness, you need to fix it. And for a long time, I just did not get this scripture. Like, I was on the improve and learn and get the high grades track, and I just did not understand. I mean, I can read the words, but it just did not sink in. What is Paul possibly talking about when he says, when, well, when Jesus says to him, my power is made perfect in weakness, and then further on, Paul says, I will boast gladly of my weaknesses. For wherever I am weak, then I am strong. Y'all, I just (laughs) did not get it. But then, walking through a little more life, I'm realizing, like, weaknesses, it's a part of being human. Like, we have them. You know? We might have different ones. But there's not like that magic human who doesn't have any weaknesses. And like this idea that if I just keep working hard, someday I'm going to be 60 or 75 or 80 and I'm going to be done with having weaknesses. (laughs) I mean, I hear tell that they shift some. You know, maybe you get more patient, but maybe your legs aren't what they used to be or... Or maybe your eyesight fades a little bit, but you're more able to pay attention. But y'all, maybe, I I think I'm just never going to get over the, I'm not going to get to the point of my life where I'm done having weaknesses. And I expect that none of us are going to get to some point in our life where we're done. All our weaknesses are gone We are just great at everything and feeling good and nothing hurts and we can lift whatever we want to. We're not going to not have weaknesses. But as I've learned that, I've also been learning that maybe that's not the discouraging thing that I used to think it is. What if weaknesses are not a place for improvement What if there are places for special tenderness? What if my weakness is a chance for me to recognize, like, yeah, like, I'm human. I'm not good at everything. I need help and support because I can't do this on my own. What if my weaknesses are a chance to remember that God's love is not based on what I'm good at? 
that those places that we fail, those places that, not just that we mess up once, but the, just the characteristic, like I just fall in that hole again and again. You know, what if those particular places are the places to get reminded again and again that like our value to God and our worth in the world are not based on the holes we fall in. They're based on how much we're loved. And that's a decision that God makes that's not based on what holes I do or don't fall in and whether or not my cursive passes muster. Like, what if our weaknesses just aren't places that we're supposed to try to improve? What if it's a place for tenderness and teamwork and connection? Um, we're recognizing we're in the process of moving. I'm a person who does really, really well with structure and order and things being predictable. We're in the process of moving. And in our household right now, there is not structure, there is not order, and I cannot find about half of the things that I look for <laughs> about half of the time. And this is a weakness for me. I have a really hard time being kind or patient or functional with things up in the air. In God's grace, I have married a person who handles chaos pretty well, who can kind of roll with it and figure out what to do next. And uh, he just does not freak out in the way that I freak out because things are up in the air. And so you know what? In some of our previous moves, my MO has been to put myself down and to grit my teeth and to try harder to be a better person like my spouse. This time around, imperfectly, with lots of fits and starts, we're trying, I'm trying, to just be really, really grateful that in this place of weakness for me, there is someone in my world who is strong. That I don't have to be good at every single possible thing to be okay. It's not that we don't want to be good and excellent and noble thinking to those characteristics that Paul brought up last week when he was talking about, you know, um, think on the things that are true and noble and worthy, etc. Embracing our weakness and thanking God for God's presence where we're weak isn't to say, I don't care about good things. I don't want to live well in the world. I don't want to. No, it's just the sense that when we're fighting tooth and nail against normal, natural human weakness, we're not leaving ourselves the room to work on what we're really great at. You know, if you have a fifth grader spend hours and hours and hours trying to make sure that her R's and N's look enough different from each other, well, she's probably going to get discouraged about the dang cursive. And also, she's not making a new friend. She's not 
playing on the playground. She's not learning a new math concept that could push her forward, right? It's not that we don't want to be excellent, but it is that we recognize that the places where we are weak are places for tenderness, places for connection. Weakness is not sin. Weakness is not failing. It's being human. And if we can be gentle with ourselves, and if we can recognize, like the scripture says, Jesus is the one saying, I am with you where you are weak. My power is strongest in the places that you struggle. So, why do I, or why do I ask of others, spend so much time and effort and energy trying to make the places of weakness go away? What if? What if we're able to let our places of hurt and weakness be invitations? What if they can just be places to recognize, thank you, God, for loving me just as I am. Thank you, Jesus, that you are reaching out to love and to touch the world. And there is no fault or shortcoming of mine that can get in your way. Thank you, God, that I live in community with others of your beloved children. And that our strengths and weaknesses are different. So when we lean on each other, we can move forward in really good and healthy ways. I know I'm talking a lot about myself and my experience and my weaknesses, but I hope it can be a window because I imagine that most of us have experiences, right? Of things that are hard for us, places that we feel weak or tender or vulnerable. And I know for sure that sometimes we lean hard on each other. Like if, if we recognize a weakness in a member of our community or a staff member of the bakery or whatever, sometimes our instinct is to try to fix that in them rather than to try to figure out, okay, how do we as a team address this? Like what's the... Instead of being a really individualized, everybody has to be great at everything and where they're not, we need to fix it. If we can remember that we are a team, we are in this together. If you are noticing a particular weakness in a person, often it's because you're strong in that area and you don't quite understand why that's such a struggle. So instead of pointing out what that person needs to do differently, maybe you could think about how can you address the shortcoming? How can you step in? How can you help where that weakness is? Because I bet there's going to be a turnaround and there's going to be a moment where the roles reverse and where something about you needs to be shored up by somebody else. And as long as we're in this um, individualist mindset and everybody's all in it for themselves and then we just happen to be in it for ourselves beside each other, whew, that makes it really hard to have any weaknesses or any shortcomings. But if we're in it together, if we're a team and if we're working together for our common good, then sure, everybody has some weaknesses. 
Everybody has some shortcomings. We pray for each other, we support each other, we build each other up, and we trust that those places of weakness can also be places of grace. Because as Jesus says, my grace is enough for you. Not just for Paul, for you. God's grace is enough for you. Even and especially where you feel like a mess, God's grace is enough for you. And the more we lean into that grace, the more we lean into what is good and healthy and strong and right about ourselves and our community. So I hope this week that we can receive that word of grace, that we can lean into the places where we are weak or struggling or the places where those we love are weak or struggling, and we can offer grace and tenderness and connection just as our God offers tenderness and grace and connection exactly where we need it most. Amen. Um, Our closing song is God Will Make a Way, and the words should be on the screen. If you would like to sing along, you are welcome to do so, and we can sit or stand as you choose. Thank you. 
Yeah. 